podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Mitz. Tonight, we are recapping the last four games we actually were not able to podcast last week like i was expecting to had some family stuff come up so unfortunately means i had to um unplanned skip uh what we actually had coming up so instead we are talking about the two iowa state games the one kansas state game and then the texas tech game that happened this last weekend and to do that of course i have joining me as usual steve fetch the basketball editor over at rock chalk talk fetch how you doing tonight good how you doing Doing pretty good. It's uh, it's been a crazy couple weeks here, but uh, you know, it's been uh, it's a pretty good bounce back for the Kansas Jayhawks, like we were thinking it might be. Um, so I'm just gonna go ahead and jump directly into those three games and kind of group them together: those two Iowa State games and the Kansas State game. Because let's be honest, we probably didn't learn too much about this Kansas team, except for the fact that the sky was not falling, like a lot of you know people uh, wanted to say about this Kansas program, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think that uh, um, it, it's always good, right, to win, especially when you're, you know, at that time uh, coming off a, a pretty big, um, well, not a big losing streak, but, a, um, you know, a, a extended stretch where they weren't playing very well. And so to uh, just get the feeling of winning back, I think, was really important. So that's the first thing. Um, but I also think, I mean, there were there were some really good signs, too. I mean, you uh, – um, if you were on Twitter, you saw Nick Schwert uh, posted, um, you know, and I guess I, I don't have the tweet in front of me here, but uh, to paraphrase anyway, that, you know, Kansas uh, held Iowa State and Kansas State to, you know, among their lowest uh, points per possession totals uh, of the season, which, you know, obviously the um, the fact that they held them to a low total in and of itself isn't very uh, impressive, but when you couple it with the fact that, um, you know, they, they did it, uh, held them to one of their lowest, you know, marks of the season, you know, that that's impressive to me, um, you know, regardless of who the opponent is. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was impressed with what they did. I thought they played pretty well. And, and, uh, I think just, you know, the most important thing was, uh, confirming that they still had those good habits and, and still had the ability to win basketball games. And, um, as I'm sure we will talk about, you know, they sure managed to, uh, um, you know, sure managed to, to back that up with another strong performance afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that game separately. Um, I mean, I just think grouping these three, like we, we kind of saw, I think the one thing that I was afraid of with that three game stretch and that playing Iowa state, you know, at, at, or I'm sorry, on the road for that second game of those back-to-back games, um, was a little bit dangerous for the Kansas team because it seemed like Iowa State was kind of, you know, settled in, kind of knew what to expect um, from Kansas starting that that game. But, you know, the more talented team ended up winning out. Kansas ended up winning that one going away. Um, so, like, what I was concerned about that could potentially jump up and bite the Jayhawks was, you know, that. And it did for, you know, about, uh, I would say about 25 of the 40 minutes of that game. And then Kansas just completely blew the doors off of them um, to end that game. And so, they they did what we expect good teams to do, and and they really kind of showed that they are a good team. They they completely dominated, you know, two teams that were pretty bad um, in three games. Um, I mean, was there any individual performances that really stood out to you from those games, or the the caliber of the guys that they're playing, you know, really kind of means that you can't take anything away from those performances. 
Yeah, well, you know, I think the the fact that David McCormick has, uh, you know, really uh, come out and, and played really well um, after the first month of the season or so, you know, you would have taken that against anybody. So uh, the fact that he was able to uh, to come out and, and really play well, um, I thought was uh, was impressive in and of itself. And, and uh, you know, I think Marcus Garrett, too, getting uh, his mojo back a little bit. I mean, especially defensively, you know, you saw it. Um, you saw it a little bit in that Oklahoma State game uh, when he was, you know, taking Cade Cunningham's lunch. Um, but it, it really uh, continued onwards um, in those Iowa State games and in that K-State game where they're just another, uh, you know, a, a, an entirely different team uh, altogether when they can um, have Marcus Garrett out there, um, you know, really um, – you know, really performing uh, like he has been and, and with the ability to take his man uh, and just, you know, entirely take him out of the game. I mean, because every, uh, you know, every team um, in college basketball really has, uh, you know, that one guy who kind of uh, runs their offense. And, and really, if you can, you know, take care of him, you can really take care of the, the team offensively, so to speak. And, you know, for Marcus Garrett to, to be out there as that weapon is something that, you know, a few teams in college basketball really have, and, and Kansas is one of them. So um, those those two guys, and it's, you know, obvious. I mean, they're, they're two of the best players on the team, and, and they deserve to be talked about that way. But uh, the way they've played uh, over that stretch has been really impressive. Yeah, the other thing too, and I think we, we kind of took this for granted in that Marcus Garrett can can defend pretty much every spot, but he is at his best when, you know, he identifies a guy or a position to take away in a particular game and can just focus on that. Like, yes, he can guard one through five if he has to in a pinch. Um, but I think when his defense kind of fell off, and I haven't gone back to look at a bunch of tape to confirm that I'm actually thinking about this correctly, but from my recollection, it seems like, you know, the games where he was struggling defensively were, were games where he was being asked to defend a lot of different guys, a lot of different play styles, a lot of different positions all in the same game. Um, when he's really able to focus on a particular guy like Kate Cunningham, you know, or for, or focus on a certain spot on the floor, essentially, um, or I should say position as opposed to spot on the floor. Um, you know, like when he's able to focus on that position and really kind of hone in on what he needs to do to shut down that particular role, um, he is absolutely the best. Um, but just like the rest of this team, like I think he, he suffered for a time of trying to do too much, trying to defend too many different spots at once, trying to jump around to a bunch of different places on the floor all at the same time. And it just wasn't working for him. Um, you know, he really, really kind of showed and really, you know, rode that or was the driving force for this defense and the way that they played, you know, and, and yes, you can say that a lot of that was, Oh my gosh, they played Iowa state and Kansas state, two teams that have lots of, you know, offensive problems. Um, but the fact that he did that against Kate Cunningham, as you were saying, and then he was able to really kind of just shut down what Texas Tech wanted to do in a lot of cases. Um, and again, we'll get to that specifically here, but I think it kind of ties into your to your overall point that Garrett was absolutely phenomenal defensively. Um, I think the other encouraging sign for me wasn't even just the fact that David McCormick played well in all of these games. Um, I think it was the fact that, you know, if you look at Ken Palm and for these three games, you see that there was actually a different MVP for each one. The, the first game against Iowa State, it was Christian Brown. You know, him actually, uh, it really kind of starting to heat up. You know, he was only three of eight from three, but the, the fact that he was able to kind of pick his spots and get some good shots, and even though they didn't all fall for him, they were definitely kind of 
you know, starting to heat up. And, and honestly, I'm I'm a little surprised that Ochai Abaji wasn't actually the MVP there because he was five of ten from three. He was absolutely lighting it up. So to see those two guys, even though it was against Iowa State, to really seem to find their stroke and, and start to to perform better there was absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, Jalen Wilson really came on in that second game that, that was up in Ames. Um, so that really helped to kind of see him step up and he's been playing well for the rest of those games, but to really kind of see him take a game over the way that he did, I thought was really, really good. Um, and again, he, you know, he was four of eight in that particular game from three um, and three of seven from two, you know, with f- four or five from, from three point range. He was, he was all over the place in that game. And I, I don't remember if it was you that was talking about this or someone else, but I saw a, a couple people talking about it on Twitter. I believe that, that you were one of them saying that, you know, Jalen Wilson coming on in these games, even with David McCormick on the floor, I think shows that he was just in a funk. It wasn't the fact that David McCormick, um, you know, being on the floor with him was really kind of messing with the way that he wanted to play. And so it's good to know that, you know, him and McCormick can coexist on the floor at the same time and they both can be playing well. And that's really going to be what allows Kansas to make a deep run in the tournament if they're able to this year. Yeah, I, I was not one of those people. And I actually, you know, I, I kind of think it might have been that uh, it took a while for them to learn how to play together a little bit. And, and they Fair. Kind of each, you know, developed and, and each, you know, learned how to play uh, with each other. But yeah, he's been, um, I mean, he's been great ever since that, you know, Oklahoma State game, uh, well over 100 offensive rating in all the games, except for, I mean, the K-State game was just barely, but, um, you know, he still played pretty well in that game as well. And Shooting better from three. Um, looks like he's, you know, just to do some crude math here, right around 50, uh, 40% from three for the last month or so. Uh, you know, one of the best rebounders on the team. Um, you know, playing better defense as well, both on and off the ball. Uh, passing the ball well, you know, knowing how to uh, how to pick his spots, when to, you know, attack, when to cut, when to pass, that sort of thing. Um, and they're all just kind of, you know, they're all just kind of working together. I don't know if it's an issue where, um, you know, the entire team just, uh, you know, took a while to play together. One thing, you know, to get to kind of tie into this with Marcus Garrett that you mentioned him, you know, guarding a bunch of guys, um, Jesse Newell on, on Twitter, and I think wrote a thing too, but on Twitter definitely mentioned how, um, you know, Marcus Garrett couldn't really count on the, the other guys on the perimeter uh, defense to, to do the right thing all the time. And they were doing a bunch of weird stuff with their ball screen coverages and that probably hurt Garrett as well. But um, since everyone else has kind of come around too, um, I don't think it's a coincidence that we've seen Garrett take off defensively as well. So they're definitely clicking uh, defensively. They're, uh, they're up to uh, 12th uh, Ken Palm in adjusted defense. Um, if you look at, at Torvik, I can uh, see where they are in February while you, while you talk and we make some great radio here, but uh, they've been doing uh, much better, you know, at that as well. looks like they're up to fourth uh, in adjusted defense uh, in February. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're clicking um, on all cylinders on the defensive end anyway, and now it's, you know, hopefully the offense can catch up a little bit. And uh, if it can, you know, maybe we can, you know, start talking about a, a deep NCAA tournament run here. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's really what it comes down to for this team is that, you know, they are going to be run by the defense. I actually made this point over on the 10-12 podcast over on Monday night um, or Monday's episode. And, you know, it was like, this is what we think of when we think of a Bill Self team, you know, is that they are phenomenal defensively, that they find the offense where they need to, that there's some, you know, there's some teams that are really good offensively and you pair that with a good defense and it's absolutely spectacular. But the one thing that we are always used to seeing is a Bill Self team that is a very, very good defensive team, usually top 15 or, you know, top 10 in the nation. And this team is getting back to that. You know, the fact that they have been able to 
to play this well overall defensively, despite all the other issues that they have that they're having, I think is what kept what kept the season from going completely off the rails. Um, you know, and so like you look at it, this Kansas team, if you go by winning percentage right now, um, is actually third in the Big Twelve and. You know, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they've been able to play every single game and they've been able to win some key games here. Um, but, you know, like you look at this back, you know, back when they came off that three game losing streak uh, to Oklahoma State, Baylor and then Oklahoma, like there was a lot of people that were wondering if this team, you know, at four and four was going to be able to even finish in the top half. I mean, I was one of them. I, I you know, I, I freely admit that, you know, they got to six and five and it, we were kind of wondering, like, you know, they really needed to go have a really good stretch here. Um, in order to to really set themselves up to have a successful overall season and and to get themselves ready for the NCAA tournament, and they've done exactly that. You know, winning those games. I mean, that that game against Texas Tech, which again we're getting ready to talk about here in just a second. I I, I promise. Um, that was the closest win that they had in that entire stretch. Um, that was the only one that wasn't double digits. You know, in, in the last five games that they've had, which is absolutely phenomenal. And you know, when you're going up against another good defensive team in Texas Tech. Um, you know, you're bound to have those, those types of games where just because there's not a lot of, there's not nearly as many points usually, uh, as you're used to seeing, you know, you're not gonna have an opportunity usually to win by double digits. So like, that's completely fully expected there. It wasn't a surprise at all. Um, and so like, that's what we're really seeing is that Kansas is going back to, is finally back to the point where they can lean on what it is that they usually get to lean on, which is their defense. And they just need to figure out the offense, but it seems like that is finally, you know, coming along, they're finally figuring that out. When, and, you know, the fact that they are where they are is kind of amazing when you think about just how bad their three-point shooting was for a large stretch of conference play. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, so, you know, the offense uh, has, has improved a little bit. I mean, it's still not very good, obviously, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not abysmal. And uh, with, you know, they, they, have, they have some good three-point shooters. And, and, obviously, if they have a couple of games in March where they just go nuclear from three, I mean, that's that's all that they're going to need to go from, uh, bad to you know potentially good enough because they're um, starting to attack the offensive glass a little bit more, ranking third in the Big 12 in offensive rebounding, and, and then they're starting to turn the ball over a little bit less too. I mean, you know, this I'm going to steal this as a segue to talk about the te- the Texas Tech game a little bit, but yep, definitely uh, turning it o- t- turning it over on fewer than 10% of their possessions uh, against Texas Tech, who you know, even though they're not the uh, the Texas Tech defense that you you know have come to expect from them, they're still eighth nationally in forcing turnovers, and to to turn it over in under ten percent under ten percent of their possessions against them is super impressive. If they can keep that going, um, you know, getting a, a a ton more shots than their opponent with with the no turnovers and with the offensive rebounds, I mean, you can afford to miss some shots uh, and still put up you know decent enough scoring numbers. So that's something that I think, you know, hopefully continues. And I think it, it just shows how smart Bill Self is that, you know, he always finds these ways to steal, you know, extra points, extra baskets, extra, you know, possessions, um, not only at the end of the game, but just throughout the game. I mean, this whole, you know, they're, they're being very, very, very careful with the ball. Obviously you never want to turn the ball over, but you know, some teams will do so more if you have a little bit more, you know, dynamic of a, uh, of an offense where you're going to maybe risk the or take the riskier path in order to to get an easy shot or to get an open shot. But, you know, with this year's team, it's all about, you know, how many actual shots can you put up? And so just, just another, you know, great, great coaching performance by Bill Self. I don't know why we ever, you know, doubt that they're going to finish in the top half of the league or whatever anymore. Um, you know, you, you'd think he'd earned it by now, but yeah, I was, I was right there with you wondering if they were ever going to, ever going to be good, but I think they, uh, you know, put a lot of those fears to bed with how they played against Texas Tech. 
Well, and to be fair, I don't think anyone ever, you know, said that Bill Self would be the reason that they wouldn't finish. The question was always are, are the players going to be able to execute well enough on offense? And just because it didn't seem like they were clicking as well on defense as they normally do. I mean, I think when you, when you take all of that combined and see how good the rest of this conference is like there, it's, it's completely fair to wonder if they're going to be able to actually get it pulled together at that point. But Obviously, I think like the the rest of the conference has come back a little bit with the exception of Baylor, who, well, they haven't had an opportunity to come back because they haven't really played, um, <laughs> which is something I think we'll get here. We'll get to here after the break. But, uh, you know, it's just I mean, it's one of those things that this this Kansas team always gets better as the year goes on. We've you know, we've seen that. The, oh, the question was always going to be how much better are they going to get and are any of the other teams going to fade? And we've started to see some of the teams fading a little bit, especially this Texas Tech team. The, the Texas team, the Kansas getting ready to play, I think it's been fading quite a bit. And so we will talk about that as well right after the break. But um, specifically, before we do that, anything about this Texas Tech game that really jumped out to you other than the turnovers you're talking about? Like, I'm looking here, and David McCormick had an absolute beast of the game going 7 of 10 from 2, uh, 3 of 3 from the free throw line, which, you know, that's kind of one of those hidden gems, the fact that David McCormick is such a good free throw shooter. Um, but the fact that they were able to take care of the ball so well, along with feeding him, consistently I think is really what's been key to them getting it turned around and that the the offense really improving is that they're not they're not turning the ball over a whole bunch of times like they used to yeah I mean the the turnover thing is is definitely the uh the big issue I mean you look at uh or the big thing I mean you look at the um the box score and they took like seven more field goal attempts than Texas Tech now Texas Tech took a few more uh free throws in Kansas so that kind of evens itself out a little bit but even so, you know, if you factor in those free throws, they still took more uh, shot attempts than Texas Tech, and that's, a, I think, a big reason why they won. I mean, uh, you know, Jesse posted this on Twitter, too. Um, I guess I'm just, you know, blatantly stealing from other people on this podcast now, but um, that's all right. he, he posted that the, uh, you know, 1.08 points per possession for Kansas was, uh, I think, the fifth most uh, that, that Texas Tech has allowed all year, and, and those other four teams above them had shot, you know, well over 40% from three. Uh, and Kansas was just eight of 26 from three, you know, which is just over 30%. So uh, there's still a ton of room, especially, you know, Christian Brown was two for 10 and he got, you know, a, a lot of really good looks. Um, you know, they, they airballed the three wide open ones in a row or whatever. So they, they have, you know, plenty of room to, uh, to get better offensively. And, and uh, you know, the fact that they were still able to score uh, 1.08 points for possession, which is a, a really good number against um, you know, anything but, uh, you know, horrific defense, which Texas Tech, uh, even though they're not vintage Texas Tech, certainly a, a good defense. Um, so that was, you know, that was really impressive. It's just the, you know, the shot volume thing that that really, you know, stands out um, to me. Uh, actually, there's a there's a stat um, that John Gassaway from ESPN has um, that's called Shot Volume Index, which, uh, you know, he, he made a nice little um, – Acronym it stands for SVI, and he he did name it after you know SVI, uh, SVI Mikhailuk, of course. Right. Uh, so only only fitting that Kansas would be you know doing well uh, in that stat this year. So um, hopefully they can keep that up. I think that's kind of the the key to um, you know really uh, putting their mark on the the rest of the regular season, and then hopefully making a a run into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, the other thing that kind of jumped out to me, and and I think this is the last point that I'm going to make about this Texas Tech game. Um, cause it, it kind of encompasses a few games, but since Bryce Thompson's come back, he hasn't done a lot of things that, you know, have stats that show up in the, uh, the, the, uh, well out on the stat sheet, or like, or out in the box score is the word I was looking for. And for some reason I, I couldn't come up with it. Um, but 
I, I think I've, I mean, I've noticed his impact, I think a lot more than most people probably would want to give him credit for, because it seems like when he is out on the floor, um, it, it does a couple different things to keep some of those guys that aren't really performing very well from being out on the floor, more minutes. I'm thinking of guys like Anaruna and, and Lightfoot. Um, but I also think that when he's out on the floor, it allows their, their spacing to be a little bit better. So even though he's not putting up a bunch of stats, he is helping, I think, to allow other people to kind of have the spacing that they need in order to be able to go and actually get their shots. And he's made at least three or four plays, you know, in these last few games that were just like, oh my gosh, that's like absolutely insane. There was one, you know, uh, saving an out of bounds play that, that I, that I can think of specifically another one where he, you know, did a, did a pick and roll and was able to, to, or someone else was, was saving an inbounds and he just got an absolute monster jam um, off of it. So like, I think that having him back has had a much bigger effect than I think most people will realize just because he hasn't been doing a lot of things that show up in the box score, but he has been doing a lot of things to help other people improve what they're putting into the box score. Yeah. I mean, totally, you know, not much to add there. I mean, good point. Um, One other thing I think to mention too, with that Texas tech game, uh, you know, how well they were able to to take Mac McClung out of the game, who um, you'd have to think probably has been their best uh, offensive player this year, um, you know, especially with how much and how many shots he takes. I mean, Terrence Shannon has been uh, really good as well. And, and, you know, Marcus Santa Silva has as well, although he kind of needs a lot more setting up than, than those other two. But, you know, right. McClung has the ball in his hands uh, a ton, takes a ton of shots and stuff. And, uh, you know, Kansas really, really made things difficult for him, which um, I think if you're if you're looking forward till March um, and you start thinking about, you know, what teams are going to be the teams that you want Kansas to face. I mean, I think it's it's teams that are maybe a little bit, uh, I don't know, offensively challenged, but have, you know, that one guy who makes everything go. Because, again, you know, this is a, the fourth or fifth time I've mentioned this tonight, but you've got a guy like Marcus Garrett who can, can really shut down a guy like that. And obviously it was, you know, I mean, he was swarmed every time he uh, came around a screen and, and, you know, every time he was in the corner, I mean, Kansas were sending multiple people. So it certainly was not Marcus Garrett, but, uh, or Marcus Garrett alone, I should say, but uh, he definitely took the brunt of all the, the one-on-one possessions and stuff. And, you know, if, if you've got a team that's got that one perimeter guy, I mean, I think Kansas has shown that they can defend those guys pretty well. And, uh, you know, if you get a bunch of those in a row, I mean, I guess, you know, the optimist in me says, who knows? Yeah, definitely. All right. I think that's all we're going to have to say about the games that they've played recently. So let's go ahead and turn to the games that are coming up. We're going to do that here in just a minute, but um, we will be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big Ten, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. All right. So. It's time to look ahead to the final two games. I'm not sure we're going to be able to do another podcast. I was originally planning on trying to do one after this Texas game before the Baylor game. But um, instead, to be safe, let's just go ahead and and talk about both of these real quick. So starting first with this Texas game, um, you know, this is the one I think that, uh, well, for for a few reasons, this is obviously the one that's more winnable, um, even though it's the one that's on the road against Texas. And then I think a lot of that has to do with just the fact that this Texas team seems to be fading. They, uh, 
they actually pulled a West Virginia against West Virginia in their final game where they were up by 19 early in the second half. Um, actually, it was probably about 10 minutes into the second half, if, if, if I remember correctly, and then allowed them allowed West Virginia to come all the way back and lose it. Um, and so I don't know what's going on with this team. Like I, I originally had kind of thought that maybe they were just having a slow start, you know, trying to come back from the COVID pause that they were on um, and that they were finally starting to get a turnaround. But I don't really know how to explain that, you know, huge collapse that they had against West Virginia. So I guess my question for you is what are you seeing from this Texas team? And, and I mean, how much do you think that their recent play really changes what we have to you know, assume is going to happen in this in this particular game? Yeah, well, you know, I think one thing is, I mean, are, is Kansas going to make it down there with all the weather and stuff? Has it has it warmed up there? I guess I haven't really been been keeping track of that, but uh, assuming assuming uh, they do. Yeah, yeah, it was like seventy degrees down in Texas today, so they oh, will be absolutely okay, fine okay. to be able to get down Fair there. Enough, <laughs> um, uh, you know, so I guess you look at that game against West Virginia, and, and it could go one of two ways. One, they could get really upset with how well they or how uh, you know well they played, and then how poorly they played and, and gave up that big. Uh, big comeback and, and maybe they, you know, come out and, and fight and really take it out on Kansas or they could go the other way and just kind of, you know, slump their shoulders and, and think, Oh, here we go again, that sort of thing. Cause they have been, you know, trending downwards and uh, this probably is a, a pretty good time to, to play them coming off a, a performance like that. Um, that being said, you know, I, I still think they're a, a tough matchup for Kansas for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, they've got a lot of athletic big men and, and David McCormick, I think does a lot better against guys who are, you know, maybe a little bit more statues down there and, and guys he can use his quickness to to try to get around and stuff like that. I don't know if he's going to be able to score over these guys. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep them off the glass, that sort of thing. So that's going to be, you know, one really difficult thing. The other thing is, you know, offensively, they shoot a ton of threes and they, and they shoot them pretty well. So they've got good shooters, um, you know, Courtney Ramey shooting like 45%, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, Matt Coleman's almost a 40% shooter. Ty Jones is a, you know, Big man is a 44% shooter. He's going to be a tough cover for McCormick or Mitch Lightfoot when he's in. So a lot of guys who can spread the floor on you, a lot of guys who are who are really athletic, which I think is going to cause a lot of problems for Kansas uh, on the glass, and I think it's going to cause a lot of problems for Kansas uh, getting to the rim as well. I mean, you know, Kansas, Bill Self loved to, to get to the rim and everything like that, and, and that certainly did not work uh, in the first meeting. Um, they they kind of did their thing where and it seems like it always happens against Texas for for whatever reason I don't know if that's true or not but uh, it just seems like you know they they will try the same thing and expect different results and it and it just never works um, and and true to form you know they only shot forty percent from two in the first meeting um, I certainly don't expect Texas to to shoot uh, as well as they did from three against Kansas again and I certainly don't expect Kansas to shoot as poorly from three again. So that probably narrows it down a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think that they're a, a really tough matchup. So you're going to have to hope that they come out and, and don't play really well. Uh, I think one, one quick uh, Texas uh, stat that I want to get out there that I mentioned on Twitter that just blew my mind is uh, they've lost games this year where they shot 13 of 25 from three, 10 of 22 from three and 14 of 26 from three. Uh, I mean, I, I think Kansas would, yeah, I think Kansas would win a hundred percent of their games where they would shoot like that. So, you know, for that to happen once is is one thing, but for it to happen three times and you know they've only, you know, they haven't even played a full complement of games. Uh, it's just crazy to me that that they've got that kind of a, or those kind of losses on their resume this year. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm looking at their resume or or at all of you know the 
team stats that they have over at Ken Palm. And I mean, I, I see a few things that, that I think is, it's kind of helping out with that. You know, they are not very good at forcing turnovers on the defensive end. Um, meaning that, you know, they're not, they're not taking away a lot of possession. So teams that play up against them, even when they're, they're hot from three teams are getting a lot of opportunities to be able to make up that three point deficit. Um, they also Texas as good as they are on the inside, they're really not that good about going to the line. And when they do go to the line, they are not shooting the, you know, free throws very well at all. Um, so what that tells me, you know, is that this is a, this is a team that is much more guard oriented. And while they have big guys down low, they don't seem to be really using that to their advantage and, you know, really don't, don't seem to be uh, putting the other team in foul trouble. So, you know, when you let opponents that have very good individual players, especially down low, um, be able to do that, you know, and, uh, and don't force them to give up possessions, you're giving them a lot of, a lot more opportunities to overcome those really hot shooting uh, games that you have. And so, while, while I don't I don't necessarily think that that is you know how it's going to happen, um, I def- definitely do think that even if Texas is shooting hot from three, that there is still an opportunity for this Kansas team, especially now that they're more confident in themselves. Now they're playing much better defense. That you know Texas could still go crazy from three point shooting, and Kansas could still kind of shut down what they're trying to do from two, um, which I think is going to help them quite a bit. Um, I do think that the more that Texas actually goes to the free throw line, the better it is for the Jayhawks. Because, you know, it means that they're not shooting a three, typically. It also means that they are uh, probably not going to make nearly as many of those and get as many points as they normally would. So that's going to give Kansas opportunities. Obviously, you don't want your your main offensive players fouling a whole bunch in order to send them to the free throw line. But I get the feeling that we're probably going to see a lot more um, opportunities for guys like Mitch Lightfoot and Aruna. We're going to see a lot of those guys out playing, I think because there are going to be times where you want to play tough and really kind of bother what they're trying to do. And I, I do think the Kansas is going to commit more fouls than they normally do in this game, but it's going to be more strategic fouling. Um, it's kind of the way that I see this going. So um, I am, I mean, I am looking at this game. I am obviously worried about the fact that can't, that, that Texas has, uh, let me see three guys. Is it three or four guys that routinely shoot a bunch of threes um, that are om- that are at least 36%. Um, so they have a lot of really good three point shooters. The problem, I think, is going to be, um, you know, they are not a team for whatever reason. Well, I, I think kind of the same reason that Kansas doesn't do it with the three-point shooters that they have. They don't just sit there and launch from three. They still try to go inside quite a bit. I think Texas is a little bit better equipped to be able to do that, to kind of have the high and the low. Um, but for whatever reason, they don't really embrace the the, the big strengths that they have as fully as they probably should. And, I, I mean, I'm guessing a lot of that has to do with Shaka. It seems like they're they're fading a lot, which makes me wonder, is this another – one of Shaka's, you know, famous choke jobs, um, or are they really just struggling coming back from COVID? Yeah, I think one other thing, too, to mention, um, it's probably going to be a good idea for Kansas. Normally, I, I like to, you know, think that they should get out and run a little bit more just because of uh, their inability to to manufacture good, clean, open looks. And obviously, you know, if, if they have the ability to, to do that, they should take advantage of it. But I think a, a half-court game, uh, tomorrow night is going to be uh, one that they want to do just, you know, for the lack of um, the lack of turnovers that, that Texas forces. I don't think they're going to have uh, really problems getting off uh, good, clean looks. And I think, you know, you, you don't really want to get into a, a running game with uh, a team that, you know, might not be able to, to break you down in the half guard, but just has all those athletes. And, and I mean, they could get dunk after dunk after dunk on you. So, uh, I would think that they would want to play maybe a little bit more half court game and and try to you know slow it down a little bit and just play possession by possession and 
and turn it into a little bit of a, a chess match because I'll definitely take, you know, Bill Self over pretty much anybody in a situation like that. Yeah, I mean, also, if you do that, you're you're setting up Kansas to be able to use their, you know, conference best, or I'm sorry, nation best, or no, I'm sorry, this is conference only that I'm looking at, conference best, two-point, you know, defense. Um, they are really good playing in the half in the half court and stopping easy looks inside when they're actually set up where Kansas gets into trouble is when they're going quickly and are allowing guys to cut, you know, and, and kind of get through in that transition defense. Um, and so like the more you can force Kansas or Texas to play in the half court set, the better that they can actually really kind of stop what Texas is trying to do because Texas is a f- fantastic shooting team. Um, you know, they are, they are third in the conference in three point shooting and second in the conference, two point shooting. Um, so this is really going to kind of be a battle of strengths there. And the more you can make those difficult shots for them from two, the better chance you have of staying in the game, especially if you can't get your three point shooters shooting really well. So ultimately, I mean, I will have predictions coming out over on rock chalk talk. I do think there's going to be a back and forth game. I do. I mean, I, I could see pretty much any result here though. Like if, if, I don't know that Kansas is going to get blown out like they did last time, but I could see Kansas losing a game here. I could also see Texas, the way that they've been playing recently, just kind of falling apart and Kansas getting a big win. Um, ultimately, though, I do think that whoever wins this game is going to get a nice uh, you know, step up in, in, in seeding. I honestly think that whoever wins this game probably guarantees themselves um, you know, a top three, or I'm sorry, a, a three or a four seed at this point. Um, you know, barring just completely falling apart in the Big 12 tournament. So so we'll see how all that kind of plays out here. Um, but this is going to be a big resume-boosting win for whoever gets it. All right, so let's go ahead and turn to the Baylor game. I don't know how much you actually want to talk about this because part of the problem that I'm, you know, looking at here is I don't really know what to expect from this Baylor team. They're still number two overall in Ken Palm. You know, they're still highly ranked. But uh, they haven't played in a really long time. Um, and so, you know, as we saw with teams like Texas – uh, they had, they haven't played since February 2nd. So we saw Texas, you know, have a, have an issue coming back. We saw, you know, a bunch of other teams that went on COVID, you know, breaks throughout the entire year um, that have had issues coming back. There have been a few that have been able to kind of just hit the ground running and have no problems. But I think in a lot of those cases, not all, but in a lot of those cases, they didn't really have good competition to play immediately when they come back. And, you know, Baylor may get a, a tune-up game against Iowa state if they're able to, to actually play that, um, you know, which will be the same night as Kansas playing Texas here. Um, but, you know, they have to play Iowa State, then two days later, uh, you know, play West Virginia, and then they have to travel on Saturday two days later to play Kansas in this season finale for both of these teams as of right now. Um, you know, so it's it's one of those things, like, I don't know what to expect from this Baylor team. I don't know if, you know, it, there's been some speculation that part of the reason they were on such a long pause was because not only were they dealing with code inside the program, but they're dealing with some injuries. Um, if that's actually the case, then I think a lot of what we see from them is going to depend on who's injured and, you know, what percentage they are when they actually come back. So um, let's just kind of talk general about this Baylor game. What what do you expect overall from this game? Or do you think that it's like unknown enough that you can't really take anything from it at this point? Yeah. who I mean, yeah, who knows? Um, I think it's probably good for Kansas that, that it, would be their third game in, you know, six days that they would be playing um, or five days, I guess. Yeah. Third and five. Uh, I mean that, yeah. I mean, that would be, you know, really important. I think for Kansas, hopefully they're, they're tired out. Of course it, you know, could mean that they're, you know, hitting their stride and, and that sort of thing. Um, so that's kind of the pessimist view of it, but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just impossible to say. I, I will say, I mean, I, I think Kansas played reasonably well in that first matchup. The The final score was not great, obviously, but they got it down to four a couple of times in the second half. And 
Uh, I think if you'd ask Bill Self, he'd take that again, and, and I don't really see a, a reason to believe that they shouldn't be able to uh, to do that against him again. I mean, it's not like, you know, Baylor had a, uh, you know, uncharacteristically bad shooting day from three or anything like that. Obviously, Kansas, I think, probably had a little bit of a uncharacteristically uh, good shooting day, although the guys who, who shot well, you certainly wouldn't rule them out shooting well again. And uh, they they shot pretty well from two against Baylor, all things considered. So, um, you know, I, I mean, anything, anything can happen. I don't really expect them to win, of course, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be... Um, it wouldn't blow me away if they did either, I guess. But it's just, you know, impossible to tell just because of how long Baylor's been been on pause. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things that this is a win-win for Kansas. It's going to be their final game of the season. Um, they're going to have an opportunity to really get a kind of a statement win to get the, you know, to really kind of boost their stock um, prior to the Big 12 tournament to really kind of get people thinking about them being back and being one of the better teams uh, going into the tournament. Um, so it's going to be a huge opportunity for them. The fact that it's going to be at home and that Baylor is going to be, you know, either still trying to get into the swing of things or, you know, potentially being fatigued from playing three games in five days or both. Um, you know, Baylor is going to have a quite a gauntlet because there, there's definitely talk about them trying to make up two of their games next week um, as well. So they could be playing five games in that, you know, two weeks before the, uh, the, the Big 12 tournament actually starts here. Um, but you know, this is going to be a good opportunity for Kansas. And if they lose this game, it's not like it's going to hurt them very much because I think nobody expects them to actually be able to win this game. Um, just because of how good Baylor has been this year. Um, so like, it's not going to hurt them if they lose, as long as they don't get blown out by, you know, 25 or something like they did against Texas at home. Um, which I don't see that happening the way that this team is playing. This team is playing a lot better than they were when they played Baylor in Waco. Um, so it's going to be, I think a good measuring stick to see, just how far Kansas could go if, if things are really kind of uh, working out for them. So, all right. Any other final thoughts? Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, about some other things in terms of tournament seating and things like that, but I think we'll save that for next week. So we, you know, can talk about these. And since I don't know that we'll actually have a game to talk about next week coming up, um, that'll give us some other topics to talk about. But the one thing that I did want to, uh, you know, Kansas is looking for potential opponents from what I understand. Um, you know, I've I've seen some people throwing out, oh my gosh, like Kansas and Missouri should schedule something to, to play there. Um, I'm hoping that you agree with me that that would be an absolutely horrible idea, and I don't think it would actually benefit anybody at this point, correct? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that they are, uh, you know, there's no way, there's no way they should do that. I mean, obviously, although <laughs> it is kind of funny, someone in that kind of Ken Palm range, because, you know, Missouri is uh, right around the, the back half of the top 25, so it like might be an okay resume, uh, win in that sense and they're you know quite a bit lower in Ken Palm than Kansas so it would be a game that they probably should and would win so I mean a team in that in that range maybe would be a, a decent opponent to play but yeah they they just they shouldn't play Missouri ever so yeah no I agree with that I, I almost would like to see I don't think this would actually be able to happen but I would almost see like a want, want to see like a team like Arizona um, you know that is not going to be able to go because they're they've self-imposed a, a postseason ban um, you know, find a game like that where they could potentially play a team that's kind of in that same range. Um, but it won't necessarily be one where like a team is looking for that marquee win to kind of boost the tournament resume. Um, again, I'm not saying like that kind of game would ever be able to happen either. But if Kansas is looking for someone, it's probably going to be like a mid-major team, someone that they can kind of just keep the rust off with. Um, you know, so it'll be kind of interesting because part of the problem too is that like all of the lower level conferences are going to have their conference tournament in that week typically. 
Um, so it's going to be, I think, hard for Kansas to find a good opponent that they can get unless it's like really early in the week, in which case you're not you're not really kind of breaking up the the, the downtime that they're going to have. So it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do. I, I think if they don't get a game, it might actually give them an opportunity to get some practicing in, <laughs> uh, which might be good for this team as they, you know, kind of continue to do stuff. It'll, they could potentially implement some more offensive sets or some additional things that they want to do that they haven't been able to do because from my understanding is they haven't really been practicing all year long, just tried to minimize, um, you know, kind of everything that's been going on and, and make sure that they don't have any kind of, you know, if there is any kind of COVID exposure, um, you know, that they're not spreading that throughout the entire team. So, all right. Um, final thoughts here. And uh, if, if you don't have any other final thoughts you want to throw out, or even if you do, um, what's the random sports minute you have for us for the rest, for, for today? Yeah. Yeah, so normally the, the Random Sports Minute is a, a current one, but I'm going to go in the Wayback Machine because today is the uh, actually the 41st anniversary of the Miracle on Ice when, uh, you know, the United States beat uh, the Soviet Union in, in hockey en route to the, the gold medal in the 1980 Lake Placid Olympics. Obviously, you know, famous for, for Jim Craig stopping all those shots and, and for that goal by Mike Ruzioni. And, um, you know, one, one other quick thing to mention, though, is that it was kind of, or it did, overshadow for me anyway um maybe the best performance in the history of the olympics when uh american speed skater eric hyden uh went five for five in in the speed skating events which is the 500 meter thousand meter 1500 meter 5000 meter 10,000 meter so if you think about someone you know just running those different distances you know think about winning all those different distances uh with you know the the different skill sets that it that it takes to to both sprint and do the middle distance and do the long distance uh, and then factor in the fact that he did that by setting five uh, Olympic records in all of those uh, uh, distances. So just a, a, an insane accomplishment for me. But, yeah, I guess the, the official random sports minute uh, is going to be the Miracle on Ice win. Um, but I just wanted to, to sneak that other thing in there as well. No, no. When when we go in the show notes, it's, it's definitely going to be speed skating minute. So Okay, fine. <laughs> because you spent much more time talking about that instead of the one that everybody already kind of knew. Well, about. yeah, that's fair. But, yep. Um, all right. Well, final thoughts before we get out here for the night. Well, you know, I, I think uh, Kansas, if, if they can, you know, win just one of these two games, I think can set themselves up uh, if they don't lay an egg in the Big 12 tournament anyway, uh, for maybe even a three seed, which uh, would be incomprehensible a month ago. And obviously, if they win both somehow, you know, then we're talking about definitely a three seed and, and you know, one of the better maybe coaching recovery jobs Bill Self has ever done. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I, I think they just need to make sure that they're in the top four in terms of seeding overall on that S-curve and a top four seed so they can avoid being paired up with Baylor in their region. But either way, they're set up really well, I think, to be able to do that. They just got to follow through. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe to the podcast and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can leave us a rating and a review as well, five stars and nice comments would be absolutely great. But if you can't do that for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, if you want to try to interview anything like that, you can contact me by email email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. You can also get your voice on the show. Do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. Leave us a voicemail. I promise we'll get it on the show for you. But that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.
Social Podcast Network.